0: Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and
1: produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture. Edited by Jim Harris and music by Mike Hall.
0: Hey, everyone, look here. Quiet coyote. Shh, quiet coyote. Jim. You made me watch a movie.
1: I did make you watch a movie. The Disney Pixar animated movie, Soul. Music is all I think about. From the moment I wake up in the morning to the moment I fall asleep at night. I was born to play. It's my reason for living. Hello? What? F- what? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Help! I'm not done! Holy! Oh my goodness!
0: Hmm. Oh! So this weird.
1: The count's off. There's a soul missing.
0: Is this heaven? No.
1: Is it H E double
0: hockey sticks? Hell! 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 Quiet coyotes. <laughs> no, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Here we are. Don't worry, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Okay, look, I already know everything about Earth,
1: and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life, like, uh, pizza. Is all this living really worth dying for? Life is full of possibilities. You just need to know where to look.
0: Don't miss out on the joys of life. I was initially kind of hesitant on this one. I wasn't sure if I wanted to cover it or not. The reason why I'm just going to get this out of the way at the beginning, I don't think it's anything that either one of us really want to touch on because I don't think it's something that either one of us really can touch on. But when I had initially heard of this movie and spoiler free reviews that I heard, a lot of what revolved around what people liked about the movie revolved around the race part of it and a lot of... Like how black culture is portrayed and whether it was good or bad or or anything like that. And so I was really hesitant at first about this because I was worried that if I didn't like this movie, it might be seen as a racist thing. And then I watched it. To me anyways, I didn't really see a whole lot racial in it. But it did dive a little bit into black culture. And I don't know if it's, you know, I've seen some people say it wasn't enough. I saw some people say they were just happy to be represented. Again, I don't think either one of us can really say too much about that. But I kind of wanted to just touch on that. Uh, it is a thing, but it's something that I don't think we can really talk about.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I, I wasn't going to go in that direction either. And I also had seen some people also have some reviews both positive and negative, focused specifically on that aspect of it. It is, I think, the first time that at least Disney-Pixar has put out a movie that had a lead character who was African-American. Right. So groundbreaking, I guess, or first time for that. So people were focusing a lot on that, of whether it was done well enough or went far enough or whatever. I I agree with you. I don't really have anything to add in that direction and I didn't watch the movie as that and I don't really feel like there was anything about the movie that made me feel that that's what I was watching
0: yeah so if that's something that you guys you want to hear about you want to think about this is not the place for that particular subject on this movie but otherwise I was actually very pleasantly surprised in this movie I I didn't think I was gonna like it because I'm not really big on Pixar Disney movies outside of you know Marvel and Star Wars I liked Inside Out, but otherwise I kind of don't really care about these movies. They're not for me necessarily, but I was very pleasantly surprised. I liked this one.
1: I would agree. We've talked about how animation is not just for kids, and we've also distinguished between cartoons and other animation. We said that cartoons, to oversimplify things, are things that are animation that is geared a little bit more specifically to children. But there's other animation, and we've talked a lot about superhero and Star Wars animation, which are obviously geared to a wider audience and can be appreciated by adults as well. Pixar sits in like a category that I would call family-oriented animation. Mm-hmm. It's not just for kids, but it is sort of intended for families maybe to watch together. So it's kind of like a bit of a blended thing which is also why I typically don't watch a lot of Pixar movies because I'm not married and I don't have kids. That doesn't mean that I haven't seen Pixar movies and liked other Pixar movies in the past, but generally speaking, yeah, Pixar is not a a go-to for me in terms of watching animation, although I obviously like watching uh, animation. I actually watched this movie for a stupid reason. It came out on Christmas Day. December 25th in the United States, it dropped on the Disney Plus service. There were two movies that people were anticipating on Christmas Day in the United States. One of which was the topic of our previous episode, Wonder Woman 1984. And after I was disappointed by that movie, I guess I might as well watch the other movie that came out today. So for no other reason, I mean, there's no reason to compare and contrast the two movies other than the fact that just happened to be released on a streaming service on the same day. That's actually why I watched this movie the first time. <laughs> right. But I have to say, I liked it. I also was pleasantly surprised by it. I wasn't expecting it to be bad, but I wasn't expecting it to be amazing. And I don't even think it is necessarily an amazing movie. But I did definitely enjoy it because I like thought-provoking stuff. And there definitely was thought-provoking stuff in yeah. this movie.
0: and touching back on your, you know, is it made for families made for kids? I would actually almost argue this was made for adults that kids can watch. I really don't think kids are going to enjoy this one as much as previous ones. I think this was much more for adults.
1: I would agree. I was thinking about that a lot uh, leading up to this recording. It is one of the, I mean, again, I haven't seen every Pixar movie, but I have seen things like Inside Out since you mentioned it. Inside Out is much more geared to a younger audience because the lead character is an 11-year-old girl, and it's a coming-of-age story, so it's much more approachable for children. Right. And we could talk about later that there is an element of this story that you can use as an analog for child characters, but this doesn't really have a child in it. So it is much more adult-oriented that the lead character... Is an adult and usually in other pixar movies like up there was also a kid in that movie right so this was a little bit different in the sense that it did really seem to be much more geared to adults and i would think in some parts kids might even be a little bit bored yeah by this movie because they probably might not get some of the stuff but there is a lot of like humor and sight gags and and jokes in here so i don't think it would be unwatchable right. to kids but it might be something that parents might want to, hey, there's something we want to talk about that's kind of a weird topic. Let's sit down and watch this thing together. So maybe as a way to have a way to talk about something like that, which is what other Disney movies like Inside Out could be used. Let's sit down and talk about how how hard it is to grow up and deal with emotions, for example. But this was very different. I would agree. This would almost be, I don't think it's like too adult. I don't think that kid's couldn't watch this by themselves. But families probably would prefer to watch this with their kids.
0: I can see kids watching bits and pieces of it and liking it and then spacing off and going to do other things through a lot of it. Because a lot of these movies, they focus a lot on sight gags to keep kids interested. And this one, it has some of that, like the eating pizza and then pooping it out right away part. (laughs) But outside of a few of those sight gags, there isn't really a lot of that. So that's why I say it's much more adult-oriented.
1: And I guess before we slide too further, I mean, if it wasn't already obvious, since we normally do this anyway. Spoilers! (laughs) There will be spoilers. Not that the pooping out of pizza was a major spoiler, (laughs) if you were really shocked to have heard that. But yes, we will be... Not super spoiling it, but we're not going to avoid spoilers as we discuss the movie.
0: Generally, I I would say that I kind of try to lead us through the conversations, but today we're swapping it out. Jim, lead us lead us on.
1: Now, I am of the two of us, I'm not the one who likes to go through things sequentially. I don't really think that it's necessary to do so, but I just had my notes written down that way. I've seen the movie 3 times, mm. so as I said before, I watched it on Christmas Day when it dropped on the Disney Plus streaming service without taking notes just to watch it to watch it. And so I was actually more like Mike in this regard. I just watched it to watch it. Then I watched it a second time to take notes. And then I just watched it as a, a third time as a, a background movie mostly to get ready to jump on the microphone to talk about the movie. So I actually just happened to have my notes organized sequentially. I would also say that generally speaking, this is true of all Pixar movies they're actually pretty easy to talk about because the story and the structure of the story is actually incredibly simple. Yeah. There's not really much to it. I mean, this literally is like a day in the life. <laughs> actually, not even not even a full day. It's like less than one full day in the lead character's life. So not a lot happens. But if you wanted to like greatly oversimplify the story, the lead character is Joe Gardner. He is a African-American who is a middle school band teacher. And at the beginning of the movie, he gets his big break that he's going to become a full-time middle school band teacher with all those great things like health insurance and a pension. And then he's suitably underwhelmed by that.
0: Well, I mean, those are the things that kids really
1: want. Yes, exactly, because that's exactly what kids are looking for. (laughs) And actually... I earlier said that there early aren't kids in this movie, since I just mentioned that technically there are, because the opening scene is some middle school kids in music class being taught by Joe Gardner. And one of the, actually a couple of the kids actually do recur later. One as an adult now, but Connie does have a brief recurring role, so she, there is actually a, a, a kid in the movie, but I really take a look at the stuff that happens in the great before as the kid analog yeah. the un, the unborn souls which we'll get to so after he gets this offer to become a full-time teacher he then gets a call from a former student to audition for a jazz musician who's looking for a piano player to fill out her quartet and then the title character is a, a jazz piano player he goes to the audition nails the audition gets a chance to join a quartet and then while he'll come back to the club later that night and on his way home he basically falls to his near death down a manhole cover and then that takes us to a bridge in the starry galaxy and we see the great beyond so basically he becomes a animated soul which <laughs> this is where it also i think may be partially to appeal to kids so the animation is very beautiful the actual animation of what like Joe Gardner looks like and the kids look like they look like normal humans, but then when they when the soul is separated from the body, they become like little like cartoon character things, like little ghosty type thing that are a little sillier looking animation, maybe maybe to appeal better to to children or, or to a broad well, audience. Also
0: easier to draw, as they kind of joke about in one of the other parts of it. Man, it is hard to draw hands.
1: Yes. <laughs> so here we get he's on the bridge to the great beyond which is basically as in beyond life and he feels like he doesn't want to die yet because he still has more living to do because he just got this big break and then in attempting to run away from the great beyond he falls into the great before which i think was one of the interesting concepts in the movie it's the i like the fact that they didn't Other than telling us about the great beyond, we spend no time there and don't talk about it at all. He immediately falls into the great before, which is basically what happens to souls before they get to Earth. But before we jump into that, let me just stop and let's just talk about a little bit of what we babble about so far. So we meet the lead character, uh, Joe Gardner, who's played by Jamie Foxx. And he's a, as I said, a, a middle school music teacher who is obviously talented like he plays some piano and stuns his students. He obviously has great talent, but he's not thrilled with the prospect of making a career out of teaching kids about music. So it sort of sets us up at the beginning of the movie with the dream job versus the job that pays the bills. You know, the doing what you love versus doing what you need to for money. Now again, this is like we said, not something that's going to appeal to a, a younger audience. But what about that part of the movie that sort of like pulls us right into the day in the life of Joe Gardner about that whole thing of what's more important, doing what you need to do to get a paycheck or if you have something that you're good at that you rather do? Success or joy. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and I like how uh, even in that conversation he's having with his mom who's trying to tell him to take the job he needs to do it. he needs to take care of himself she actually even specifically tries to say that you know, now playing music is finally your career you can you can do both and that's of all the criticisms i have in, of the movie the main one that really bothers me is if all he wanted to do is play and gig i mean he's in new york why can't he do both why can't he teach during the day and then gig in the evening
1: true plus the fact that it's not like he is teaching English class, or maybe accounting, or it's not like his day job has nothing to do with his passion. He's teaching middle school band, okay? That's not great, but he is still getting paid to do something in music, right? And like you said, living in New York, he could still play gigs at night or on the weekends, may not be glamorous, but he can have music. In his entire life. I mean, one of the things that the movie does come back around to is sort of that whole not appreciating what you have kind of thing. But yeah, it is a little weird that he's like, you actually do have a career in music, yet no one wants to be a middle school band teacher, but it's not like you have no music in your life. Right.
0: And I kind of, at the end of the movie, sorry, I'm going to pull you, and I'm going to jump around and and pull things back. Uh, And I've heard a lot of people Touch on this that they're not really sure necessarily what it means in some cases about the the thing that Dorothea Williams says about the the big fish and the little fish in the water. You know, the little fish is looking for the ocean, and the big fish is like you're in the ocean. The little fish is going, no, I'm in the water. I'm looking for the ocean. And I like how the beginning of the movie kind of sets that up. Of he's in the ocean, but he's looking for the ocean because he just sees the water. You know, he's playing music. Music is his career, like we just said. But he's not... He hasn't found what he's really looking for, not realizing that he's in what he's looking for. And I think the whole movie is just kind of based around that. I, I think that was interesting. And then another thing that I found kind of hilarious on subsequent watchings was he's on the phone and he said... When uh, Curly first calls him says, you know, hey, I want you to come play with Dorothea Williams. He's like oh, man, I could die a happy man if I could play with Dorothea Williams. He plays with her as the test, and then he immediately dies. Yes. I found that funny.
1: It was, it was funny, and it was also one of, uh, not to jump ahead, but it was also one of, the, one of the things that the writers of the movie struggled with for a long time was what the ending was going to be like. And at one point, they were actually going to have him die at the end after he did get to play the gig. Going back to what you had said, that he would die a happy man if he got to mm-hmm. play with her, and he did. And technically he did because he got to play uh, in that right. audition. The other thing that is going back a little bit to that accident, and it also becomes a theme that threads throughout the entire movie, is the whole idea of being in the moment, being you know in the zone, in the flow. And he has that uh, experience when he's during the audition, and even when he's playing for his students earlier In the movie, you're sort of like not completely not paying attention to anything else other than in that case for him playing music. And then later, after he leaves the audition, that complete lack of attention to anything else is what basically gets him almost killed because he's almost hit by cars he's almost has a thing of bricks dropped on him and then he falls into an open manhole cover because he's not paying attention to what he's what doing i think
0: that was funny about that whole scene is he's completely oblivious to most of the things and then right towards the end right before he dies he starts to realize like oh crap i almost died there oh hey i almost got hit by that and then he dies
1: yes which is a nice i think a nice wonderful setup for that so, like I had said earlier, I like the fact that they don't waste any time on showing us the great beyond and they take us into the great before, which was an interesting concept of uh, what is it like before you get to, before you're born, before you go to Earth. And they even made a, a joke about how, well, nobody remembers that because, you know, forgetting the trauma of childhood is one of the great gifts of the universe.
0: <laughs> I really like how they, they introduce the great beyond and the great before without ever really addressing religion in general.
1: That's the other thing that was interesting too, yeah. For a movie that is dealing with, I I would say that the movie is more about life than it is about death or what happens Mm -hmm. after you die or before you were born. But the fact that they stayed away from religion, even though there's a joke there when he first shows up in the great before, is like, is this heaven? Oh no, is it H-E double hockey sticks? Hell, 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 hell. So all the little souls are bouncing up and down saying hell. And it's like, oh no. So it's like they just don't even address heaven and hell or any type right. of religious aspect like that. So I thought that that was uh, a nice way to, to skirt the issue. And
0: if, and if you've ever been around small children, even babies, it, it seems like they come out with a personality already. Like almost right away, it seems like they have a certain personality. And there's that, that big argument of nature versus nurture. And I like how this addresses that too, how they kind of give him certain personality traits to start with before they're even sent to earth. I, th- I thought that was very interesting the way they addressed that.
1: Yeah. Like, and he was like amazed. It's like, this is where personalities come from. He's like, yeah. Would do you, you think it is born without a personality? Of course you get a personality before you're born. Yeah. Which is what the Jerry's tell them, which is the, <laughs> the, uh, quantum- the quantum, the, how do the movie say it? The, like the quantumized field of everything that is simplified is uh anthropomorphic figures, so that the feeble human brain can understand. He's like, huh? Just call me Jerry. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, I kind of spaced out with all the big words.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so there's like, not angel-like figures, but these like, superhuman-type figures that all call themselves Jerry, except for another one called Terry. 2 a They basically run uh the great before which has been rebranded as the you seminar which i thought was also funny because it's how how you build you your essence of who you are and your personality and there's little like funny things about oh we'll send you this group of souls over to this the aloof center and they come out aloof and the excitable center and they pick up all of these different traits and stuff
0: my favorite one is the and you 12 go over to self absorbed maybe we should stop sending so many people through that one
1: Yes, there's a lot of nice quick jokes about, you know, personality traits, including like ones that are really bad versus ones that are really good. So yeah, that whole sort of, there's lots of little fast jokes about that in there. And then the whole thing at first you would think, well, well, why are they like, not like freaked out that Joe is in the great before? And then we see that there is this concept of being a mentor. So after you die, before you go to the great beyond, you can go back to the great before. And be a mentor to pass on what you know to help the new souls before they go to Earth. One of the final things that they need after completing their personality or to complete their personality is their spark. And mentors can help the souls find their spark either by using the Hall of You, which is a highlight of everything that you've done in your life, or going to the Hall of Everything, which is where you see every possible activity and pursuit on Earth to try to find something that would... Uh, interests you to complete your spark before you're sent down to Earth.
0: Yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. So it gives him uh, an excuse for him to be there, and then that's how we meet the other primary character in the movie is Tina Fey's character, who is 22. So each of the souls are numbered, and she's 22 to indicate that she's been there for...
0: Basically the beginning of time.
1: Basically the beginning of time, because we have like other souls that are in... Their numbers are in like the billions and stuff like that. So here again, my my idea earlier that I had said that this is sort of like the the unborn souls are sort of the analogs for kids because they're very childlike and mm-hmm. they're wandering, running around the great before, and sort of the something that is kind of childlike that people could latch to in the movie. So Tina Fey plays 22, who is an unborn soul that has no interest in being born because she doesn't want to go to Earth and have a life. I
0: find her to be the relatable character.
1: Yeah, she's she's a relatable character. She's also, I guess, a functional metaphor, too, for... I mean, she's playing an unborn soul, but you can use her as a metaphor for people who haven't found what they want to do with life or don't find life meaningful or are struggling with trying to find their purpose in life. So it, it functions as a, a metaphor at that level as well. Yeah. A metaphor for sort of like existing versus living, not even trying to even have a life. Because she's like, doesn't even want to have a life. So that's the interesting thing. So the other thing that's really good about the movie is instead of like wasting time on like, okay, so what's what's the plot here? In like a matter of like three to five seconds, we get like a little video montage of Joe's idea is I'll help 22 get her earth pass, which is what happens if you complete your, like, spark, there's a little badge that you wear on your chest, and if it turns into a picture of Earth when you're ready to go to Earth, I'll help her complete her Earth pass, and I'll steal it, and then I'll go back to Earth and jump back in my body and go play with Dorothea Williams. Boom! That's the whole idea of the movie in three to five seconds without having to waste a lot of time on exposition to show us what his grand plan is of how he's going to get back to Earth and back to his body. Well done. Before that, of course, we see the whole montage of how do you get to earth from here? Oh, you just jump through the earth portal and he tries several times to jump through it. And he just ends up back in the great before because you can't get to earth without the earth pass.
0: Yeah. This is something that uh, when you first asked me, when I first watched the movie and we started talking about recording, I was like, I don't really have a whole lot to say about the movie itself because I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. There's not really a lot to dive into, like, scene by scene or anything like that. It kind of is what it is. But the conversation after the movie, that's where it can get interesting.
1: Yeah, I would agree. The movie itself, I mean, because, again, it stays pretty fast-paced because it needs to. But a lot of it is sort of a stop and think about it or come back and think about it afterwards. Because one of the things that they do when Joe gets assigned incorrectly as not himself, but somebody else, to be the mentor for 22. Bjorn Borgensen? Dr. Bjorn Borgensen, a Nobel Prize-winning child psychologist, which is also a nice funny joke. They go into the Hall of You, which is like a highlight reel of that guy's life. And he's like, uh, I'm not that dude. And And then they have like a little hand scanner type of thing. It's like, oh, this is your actual life. And that's where you get to see the... Where Joe's response, where he sees his actual life, is my life was meaningless, because it like shows like boring things of him like eating pie at a diner and you know teaching bands and going to auditions and being told no, yeah. so it's like or or working at his mom's uh, seamstress shop or taking his laundry to his mom's uh, seamstress shop. So it's like yeah, this is meaningless life, and he's kind of like depressed a bit about I,
0: it. I like how he kind of looks at it and he's like, that's not how I remember it.
1: Yeah, even some of like the auditions where he was just told no. Yeah, he was like, I thought I I thought I did better than that, or that's not how I remembered it. So that was a nice way of sort of looking at, especially like he was saying, it's like you know I, that's what this is why I need to go back to live because I need to make better memories or or live a more fulfilled life. Because again, he doesn't really look at his life as something that was anything all that special
0: there was one you, you mentioned earlier about how this movie has a lot of like throwaway jokes which to me are like that is the bread and butter of what i love is those little throwaway lines that you can almost not even notice one of my favorite jokes of this entire movie was around that part when there was a big ball of the youth souls like rolling around and then they something falls over on him, he's like <gasps> and she goes oh don't worry you can't crush a soul here that's what earth is for
1: Yes. Yes, you can't crush a soul here. That's what life on Earth is for.
0: That was one of my favorites, and yeah, don't miss that one. I laughed hysterically at that, because it rang so true every time I saw this movie.
1: It is one of my favorite chokes in the movie as well. So, the other thing, so they figured out that they need to, so he's like, oh, well, my spark is, my interest is music, and then Tina Fey is 22, is like, I don't really like music sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So music's not going to work for horror, so they go to the Hall of Everything, which is literally where you can experience anything that you will want to do on Earth. They don't spend a lot of time there, but is this another way of, like, well, maybe sports is your thing, or maybe baking is your thing, or maybe being an astronaut is your thing. One of the funnier parts was, like, when they trying to be a firefighter. Yeah. And she's like, (laughs) the fire's pretty. I kind of want to watch it burn.
0: That was when I really connected with that character.
1: (laughs) And, like you said earlier, they also had the thing where, with like the painting, and she's like, hands are hard. Sort of like an inside joke about how difficult it is to animate stuff and the simple. And feet. Yes. Or even like to think about, oh, you want to be a librarian? No, but I do kind of like the idea of shush, randomly shushing people. shh and he tries to like, talks like, shh yeah. So they try out a whole bunch of things and it doesn't quite work. And they're walking out of the hall of everything and like one of the Jerry's is like, okay, well, you gave it your best try, Dr. Bergenson. Time to go to the right beyonds. And they're like, oh, no, 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 we didn't try breakdancing. Let's go back to the hall of everything. Oh, okay. And they climb through a, this is not a box or this is just a box to go into like this alternate dimension where twenty two hides. Where we get like uh, all of like the Hello My Name is stickers on the wall of all of the previous historical figures that have tried to be the mentor to Twenty Two and they have several of them that they run through in yeah. a quick gag like Mother Teresa and Muhammad Ali and Carl Jung and, and all these other people that tried to be her mentor. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, I'm going to, there's someone we can go who might be able to help you. Someone who's like you. You mean someone who's alive? It's like, yep.
0: Well, real quick, real quick. So as usual with Pixar movies, there's a lot of Easter eggs. And that wall of names is a treasure trove of Easter eggs of like former voice actors and animators and stuff that are all in there. You ever get curious and you want to pause and zoom in or something, you can see a lot of interesting names in there.
1: Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, not just major historical figures, like you said, animation and other...
0: Like, for me, being a comic book nerd, it was fun to see Jack Kirby's name up there.
1: I was about to mention him, yes. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, cool references on the wall. So, where they end up going next is to The Zone, which is what they had said, you know, the dimension between the physical and the spiritual, where people get to when they, like Joe was in earlier when he was playing the piano, when they see other examples of people in the zone who are alive but have who are in the zone and they make fun of things like messing with the New York Knicks trying to explain why the Knicks are so bad messing with people who are trying to like act in a play and stuff like that Um, but then they get a chance to see that while they're in the zone they see lost souls and I thought this was an interesting concept because we'll meet Moonwind in a second but they talked about how we talk about being in the zone as being a good thing that you're like so absorbed in something like a creative act, like playing piano for Joe, that you're just not in, you're just so absorbed in that moment and nothing else exists. Lost souls are basically very similar to that, but they become so obsessed with something that they are not inspired by what they're immersed in. They're just right. lost. So we see like a, a day trader, a hedge fund manager who's just obsessed on making trades um, as an example of a lost soul, and here's also where we meet the Moonwind character, who is uh, in the zone, an astral spiritual uh, journeyman who is alive in the real world, uh, but is in basically a meditative trance and can float around in the zone and help rescue lost souls. So
0: well, he himself was a lost soul once because of
1: Tetris. Exactly.
0: Fully understandable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very understandable. So they rescue the hedge fund manager, which also gives you a way of seeing how that lost soul got returned to Earth. Not that he was not on Earth, but they reconnected that lost soul to shake that guy out of his stupor and figure out that he doesn't want to be a hedge fund manager anymore. They try to do the same thing to Joe and they get freaked out because they see the bridge to the great beyond and Moonwind's like, Joe, are you dead? It's like, no, I'm not. almost dead. So then they try to figure out, okay, we have to go to this, like, thin spot between the living and the dead to try to find a way to get you back to your body. So a way to try to find a way to get Joe back, because he is in the hospital kind of on a heart monitor in a near-death type of situation. It could go either way. So they come up with a way to try to get him back to his body that way. And things go horribly, comically awry that both Joe and 22 fall through that little portal. And they land in... Joe's body and the body of a cat.
0: All right. So two things here. Okay. First, if that hippie wizard hadn't stopped Joe from jumping in, everything would have been fine. Because him trying to stop him also caused 22 to kind of get involved and they both fell. If only Joe had fallen, he would have landed back in his body and everything would have been fine. But then there wouldn't be a but movie. then there wouldn't be a movie. The other thing, which is probably the biggest question I have about this entire movie and it is driving me nuts, what happened to the cat's soul? They showed that.
1: He was on the the bridge
0: to, to the, great, exactly. the Great Beyond. Exactly. So then when the cat is freed from soul at the end, what happens to the cat? Does the, did the cat's soul get like leave the Great Beyond to come back? Why was the count off? If the cat's soul went to the Great Beyond, then that would've righted the count, right?
1: Cat's go on a really slow escalator to the Great Beyond, so that cat got to come back just before it would have gone to the Great mm-hmm. Beyond. Because, again, all of this happens within, basically, like, less than a 12-hour period. No, not
0: really, because it starts at, the well, I guess after the death, yeah.
1: After the death, because, I mean, it's like the end of the school day and then into the early morning hours after they finish up the set that they do with georgia Williams. So it's maybe 12 hours? Yeah. So it was really cr- it was really crowded on the escalator to the great beyond and that's why the cat didn't go.
0: Crowd doesn't slow down an escalator. Have you been on an escalator?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to give you a creative reason, but I but I was at least amused by the fact that Joe falls into the cat and 22 falls into Joe's body and Joe's immediately like how am I in the cat and they quick cut to the cat on the escalator to the great beyond Who actually looks like a cat. The cat soul actually looks like a cat. Is like, meow.
0: Yeah. (laughs) As entertaining as that was, I was immediately like, well,
1: that poor cat didn't do anything wrong. Exactly. You killed the kitty. But they bring the kitty back later. The kitty doesn't die. It's soulless,
0: apparently. I mean, most cats are, I guess, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, now. I have two cats. So, but, so I, which is, up. maybe that's one of the other reasons why I like the movie, because it had a cat in it. That could be. (laughs) Plus the funny thing is, of course, they Joe falls into the cat, twenty-two is in his body, Joe tries to talk to the doctor in the room, and of course he's talking, but all the doctor can hear is meow, 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 meow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and I like how they consistently do that throughout
1: it. Yes. That only Joe and, and Moonwind can actually hear Joe the cat speaking. But so that's actually kind of funny too. They play off of that too. is like he then tries to say to have Joe twenty-two as Joe explain it. It's like, yeah, my soul is in the cat. The cat's soul is in me. And it's like, and the doctor's like, well, those drugs didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the things that actually bothered me like the first time that I watched it is like, how come it like his mom wasn't at like the hospital or something? Like he was basically dying. But the second time I watched it, I did notice that like right before Mm. they fall into the bodies, the nurse is like, so if we found the next of kin yet to contact... So they were just about to like contact yeah. Joe's family, and then he pops back into his body to avoid that part of which it. Which also
0: shows not a lot of time has, has passed.
1: Again, yes, exactly, that it hasn't been very long since he left his body, which might be why it was possible for him to maybe get back in there. So then we have the body swap middle portion of the movie, where 22 is now on Earth in a human body, Joe's body, and Joe stuck in a cat, and they're trying to get Joe to the jazz performance. But of course, they have to go find Moonwind so that Moonwind can perform some type of a ritual to put them back into the appropriate bodies. Plus, there's also hilarity ensues in terms of you get a little bit of the whole 22 being overwhelmed by how loud and bright everything is. I like how they
0: kind of address that since 22 never had a childhood, she doesn't know how to work a body.
1: And that she failed basic body movement like 436 times.
0: (laughs) And I like how we get this like awesome cameo in there too. I don't know if the the New York pizza rat.
1: Yes, that was funny. (laughs) Yes. Because she tries to coke, Joe gets freaked out, or 22 as Joe gets freaked out and is hiding in, like, an alley, and then Joe the cat goes and gets a piece of pizza and says, hey, try this. You can smell and you can taste, which, of course, when she tastes it, she freaks out because it's the first time she's ever smelled or tasted any food. But, yeah, as he's bringing the, the pizza to her, Joe, Joe the cat pa- passes pizza and, and
0: I know that one of the biggest questions this movie brings up is what actually was the spark for 22. And I would argue I, it's that pizza because pizza is about the only thing <laughs> worth living for.
1: <laughs> well, she did greatly enjoy the pizza. Uh But yeah, we will come back to that. I do like the fact that they didn't actually show us what 22's uh, spark yeah. was. But one of the things that is interesting about th- this part of the movie and one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is actually the barbershop scene. So among the crazy hilarity, they go to Joe's apartment and they get him all dressed up in a suit. And he, they of course have him while he's running. They leave the hospital. He's in his hospital gown. They run across Dorothea Williams. She gets freaked out and calls some other jazz pianist to take his place. But Curly, who was his former student, which got him in the gig in the first place is like, put on your best suit, get down here. Maybe we can change Dorothea's mind. So they like, okay, great, get in a suit, let's get ready. And for some, of course, so that it can happen, Joe the Cat tries to give himself a haircut uh, and messes up his hair, and then they have to go to the barbershop to fix it. So that so he looks okay for the for the gig, even though he wears a hat, and you don't <laughs> see his hair anyway.
0: That's a good point. I never even really thought about that.
1: So it was one of those things, it's like, yeah, just go with it, because what does it matter what his hair looks like? Because he wears his hat all the time, even when he's playing.
0: Real quick before you move on, because I don't want to miss saying this, just a a point out that Curly was voiced by Questlove, who is one of the best drummers of all time. Just wanted to point that out. Proceed, sir.
1: Yes, I thought that that was cool, that they actually had someone who is an incredible drummer, play the guy who is the drummer in the movie and voice him yeah. too. Not just play the drums, but also do the voice work for the character. That was cool. So they go to the, the barber shop, which is where Des, the, the barber is at. And this is when they're going into it, they've been talking about this stuff as they're walking there about how, what about sparks and like how Joe spark is piano and jazz. And that, Twenty-two has to find her spark so that she can come to Earth. And he was like, oh, talk about having a spark. This guy was born to be a barber. And this part of the movie kind of foreshadows the, uh, something that comes back later more explicitly about how your spark is not your purpose. But we have him go in there to get a haircut. And in the process of having a conversation with Des, we find out that Des wasn't born to cut hair. He actually wanted to be a veterinarian but he couldn't afford vet school because barber school was more was less expensive and he had bills to pay so he went to barber school instead of vet school and then 22 as joe is like oh that sucks you have to do something that you're not happy with And he's like whoa 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 i'm a really happy dude it's like i love cutting hair it's like yo i wasn't born to be a barber but i really love what i do So even though his, like, maybe his purpose or spark might have initially been he wanted to be a vet, he actually is happy doing something else. Power of the chair! The power of the chair! But the other thing that was really, there's lots of things that I like about the barber scene. One of them is, and we see it a couple of times throughout the movie, it's the first time that Des ever, uh, Des and Joe ever have a real conversation. Mm -hmm. Cause like when they're going in there, like Dez, uh, Joe is explaining to Twenty Two, it's like, oh yeah, this is this guy. We're friends. We only talk about jazz though, and he's born to be a barber. And then in this scene we hear is like, no, it's like, and even at the end of it, Twenty Two, is as Joe asks Des, is like, how come we never uh, talked about your life before? And he's like, oh, because you never asked. So he has a, a real conversation with Des for the first time and learns more about his barber other than just being a guy who cuts his hair.
0: Yeah. It was somewhere in there that I actually, I wrote the note, Joe is very self-absorbed. And then almost immediately after I wrote that note was the scene about sending the 12 kids to being self-absorbed. I'm like, huh, I guess I was meant to think that right then.
1: Yes. That is one of the the things that the, for me, the movie uh, hits home and I'll come back to later in my metaphorical rating. That the not sort of appreciating what you Mm -hmm. have or being too absorbed in your own self blinds you from seeing things around you. So that interaction with Des of of seeing that whole idea of he never really had a connection with this person that he thought he was friends with. Right. Because he never really connected with him other than you're the guy who cuts my hair and we talk about jazz because we both like to talk about jazz. It's like, no, Joe loves jazz. Des the barber talks to him about jazz because that's all that Joe talks about. Yeah. Plus, there's also other things in that scene where, like, 22 is just riffing on things, like you know, they say you were born to do something, but how do you figure out what it is? It was like a very existential, like, conversation about figuring out what you want to do in life and who you should be. And then they have um, the character Paul, who's basically just putting everybody down, and 22 offhandedly says, "Oh, you're just like you know, covering up for your own failures by putting everybody else down." So which was a nice little sort of juxtaposition or, or giving us a character of the person who doesn't even try and is negative about everybody else's attempts to try to do something with their life. So there was a whole lot of stuff going on in the barbershop scene. From-
0: yeah, I felt that was extremely harsh and unnecessary.
1: <laughs> well, later, he gives him a lollipop. That's true. So 22 does make, make, make amends. I mean, it happens kind of in the background as they're walking down the street that she uh, gives him a lollipop. Because he said, like you had said before, the power of the yeah. chair. And it's like, yeah, when you're in the chair, you're the boss. So that's why 22 basically gets to hold court in the barber shop when she's in the chair. And she asks for a lollipop, even though it says, you know, for the kids. <laughs> she gets a lollipop. And then she even shows, like, as they're out on the streets, like, hey, look, I grabbed a couple of lollies for the road. So she stole a bunch more lollipops. But then she does give one to Paul and does apologize to Paul and says, you know, it's just friends giving each other a hard time yeah. type of thing. And then, of course, Terry freaks Paul the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Terry <It's theory> time. <laughs> yeah. So Terry is the other supernatural being, but Terry is the accountant. So Jerry are the helpful people in The Great Before that are helping people get their soul. Terry's the one who keeps count of everything and realizes when Joe falls into The Great Beyond that the count is off and goes on an investigation to find out who's missing and then goes on a stealth mission down to Earth to get them back. And he accidentally grabs Paul and yanks Paul's soul out of his body before realizing, hey, you're not the guy I'm looking for. Sorry about that. Stuffs him back in his body, puts him back on the tree, and Paul is understandably freaked out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that would freak anybody out. I would like to point out, so Terry was voiced by Rachel House, and to me, by far is the best voice out of the. I loved that voice. I love the way she she said the things. She had like a non-specific accent. the The way she put emphasis on certain syllables that weren't really necessary you hear me keep saying terry time i love the way she said that that was great so shout out to rachel house on that
1: so then they go from the barbershop to the jazz club where they are going to meet up with Moonwinds to do the body swap to put the cat back in the cat and joe back in joe and 22 decides that she doesn't want none of that And she has sort of like a moment where she's talking to Joe about how, you know, maybe, you know, sky watching could be my thing or walking could be my thing. I'm really good at walking. And that's when Joe's like, that's not a purpose. That's just like everyday life stuff. I'm in the chair now. Yeah, exactly. She wants to take control because she's in the chair now. And one of the other things that also shows, too, is that just before that happens is that 22 in Joe's body really does enjoy... You know, being in the moment, not like being in the zone, being in the moment, just sort of like appreciating the little things, the everyday little things like eating tasty food, uh, finding music that she actually does like listening to, like the guy in the subway, mm-hmm. uh, actually talking to people, like having actual conversations with people. <laughs> or even the conversation that she also facilitates uh, before we get there with Joe's mom. Right. While 22 is enjoying being in Joe's body and just like. Being all goofy and stuff, she rips Joe's pants, of course, to set up a reason for them to have to go see Joe's mom, the seamstress, to try to get the pants uh, fixed. Which also shows in that scene, too, how similar to Des the barber, it shows how Joe has never really had a real conversation with his mother either it kind of turns into a forced conversation because 22 blurt stuff out and then offends Joe's mom. And then they turn it into a a more heartfelt conversation. And that's where you get the whole thing of his mom's not just being negative to be negative. She's actually being very practical about, you know, having a stable job with a pension and health insurance instead of chasing another gig. It's like, I'm not trying to crush your dreams. I'm trying to tell you you know be a bit more realistic. there's nothing wrong with having dreams and stuff, but you know you got to be more realistic and also how she was saying like your dad tried to make a career out of music and you know it didn't work out for him and I didn't want to see the same thing
0: for you which is actually almost exactly a conversation I had with my grandfather when I was younger when I first started trying to pursue music. Obviously music didn't work out for me because I suck at it. <laughs> so it's a good thing I had that conversation and went that other
1: route. Yeah, and, and in that conversation with his mom, she said, "Yo, know, yo, know, not talking about my career. I'm talking about my reason for living, you know, about my dreams. And his mom's like, you can't eat dreams for breakfast, Joey. And then he's like, well, then I don't want to eat. No, this isn't about my career. This is about my reason for, yeah. for living. I'm, I'm just afraid that if I die today, then my life would have amounted to nothing. Which leads to like the tender moment with his mom, but it also is pointing to the whole idea again. That whole idea of what is the meaning of life, what makes life worth living, what's your purpose? Was Joe's life really that bad, right. and why? As we also come back to a little bit later, this whole thing that he thinks is going to make him happy ends up not having the effect on him that Which he. Which also thinks. kind of
0: makes you wonder too. Was yeah, he was in the zone at one point, but was he also a wandering soul, lost soul? through most of his life as well.
1: Yeah, that's that's um a possible interpretation as well. I come back to a, a slightly different interpretation later. But yeah, that's where we get that sort of heart to heart and his mom's like, okay, give it a try. I mean if you wanna let's let's get your dad's suit out and make you look as good as you can, go give it a shot. Then that gets us to the place at the at the club with Moonwind. And that's where we also get that existential crisis from twenty two still in Joe's body of Basically saying, like, the truth is, I've I've always worried that maybe there's something wrong with me. You know, maybe I'm not good enough for living. So that's her whole, again, as her as a metaphor for someone who is afraid to even try to live. Whereas Joe is, like, maybe not appreciating the life that he has and thinks that there must be more to it. And then while they're in the middle of that existential crisis, Terry shows up and grabs them both. (laughs) (laughs) And they're back to the great before and here's where again magically we don't understand what happened but somehow during their time on earth 22 gets her badge completed somehow she gets her spark but we don't know what pizza.
0: happened it was pizza
1: mike is mike is in the, the the pizza theory is mike's theory but the weird thing is so she gets her badge and it had been established earlier that the only way that joe could take her badge and get back to earth and cheat is if they completed her badge and, and basically, that is even what Terry tells him at first when he's trying to claim that he should go back. And, you know, Terry's like, you cheated, Joe. You're dead. But then 22 basically just throws the badge at Joe and then runs away. And then Joe's like, fuck it. I'm going back to my body. And he just jumps back to Earth and jumps into his body gets to go to the club and well actually even before he does that as he's walking to the earth portal to jump up had one of the nice moments too where not there's very few times where an exposition is actually used to make a point in the movie but this was one of them so as he's walking to the earth portal Joe even asked one of the Jerry's it's like we never found out what uh, 22's purpose was and that's what Jerry was, and one of the Jerry's is confused he's like A spark isn't a soul's purpose. Where did you get that idea? Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, you mentors and your passions, your purposes and your meanings of life, so basic. And this like walks away from him. And of course, Joe is confused. (laughs) It's like, what do you mean my spark is not my purpose? But he shakes it off and then he goes, jumps back to into his body and he gets to go play the gig with Dorothea Williams.
0: So normally when we do this, at least one of us just starts ripping up the movie. <laughs> Usually, it's you. And when approaching this one, because it's animated and about souls and stuff, it's hard to really think about it as being needing to be consistent and needing to be realistic or anything like that. But one of the parts in that, so early in the movie, when they when she gets into twenty two gets into his body and suddenly knows everything that's in his brain. But then when he says, we got to go see Dez, she's like, who's Dez? Why did, wouldn't she already know who Dez was? And then he's like, oh, we got to go visit mom. She acts like she doesn't know who mom is. Something like that. So it's it's terribly inconsistent in a lot of that to push the story forward. But that bothered me a little bit.
1: I understand the point that you're making. I guess I kind of went with it, which is, again, this is very much a role <laughs> reversal uh, episode. It's like a body swap episode. I'm the cat and Mike is 22, I guess. I went with it a little bit more of, uh, and read it more of, um, because Joe is so self-absorbed, he's not even always aware of like his own thoughts and motivations. And that just kind of like floated through her head. So things like, yeah, why did she not know Dez or his mom? But again, back to what I would say before, he never really knew Dez himself anyway. Apparently
0: he knows Lisa.
1: Well that's the other thing, like the Lisa thing floated through is like so I I thought of more as like there were thoughts that were like popping through his brain that she didn't quite know how to contextualize or maybe only came to the surface enough as a fully realized thought because again Joe is just usually so self absorbed, he doesn't usually stop and think about these things all that much. Could be. But I agree, it was a little bit of a cheat. And usually I'm more concerned about criticizing the consistency of storytelling i had a tendency to just sort of uh go with this a little bit more because i was enjoying it and it it just it is still it was smooth enough but yeah it didn't quite make sense there were times where it was sort of like uh like they they started to step in that direction to save time and it's sort of like how do you already know this oh your brain told me Versus, and then later they didn't do that, so it was sort but of since, like
0: a... Yeah, it eh. says we don't know who Dez is, he's got to explain who Dez is.
1: Yeah, well that's, a, yeah, that's also the sort of like the fourth wall problem of, well, the audience still needs to know who right. Dez is.
0: I'll also throw out that we have exhausted all of my during movie notes. That's what I mean when I said kind of earlier that I don't really have a lot to say about the movie itself. That was all my notes about the movie. Uh, I I didn't really have a whole lot about the movie specifically. It's all afterwards. I've got probably another page of notes of afterthoughts that aren't really, you know, only a couple of them are really movie specific. Everything else is more philosophical.
1: And I look forward to diving into that part. But before we do that, I I just want to finish off this last few of, of my movie notes. So we already actually talked about this briefly earlier. So it's at that moment after they have this great gig the Joe back in his body gets to play with Dorothea Williams quartet, plays this great gig. And Hey, you're in the quartet teach because she calls him teach because he's a middle school teacher. Creative. Yes. (laughs) As they're walking out after the gig, Joe is like disappointed because he has like this, like he's not feeling fulfilled. Like he had built up this whole idea that this is it. This is the big time. Once I play this gig and I'm a part of this quartet, I'm going to feel different and then dorothea's like what's wrong and she tries to sort of explain how he thought this was going to go differently and i just want to do the full you alluded to it earlier but i just wanted to just do the full fish thing which again there have been many versions of this in other movies and also even in philosophy and religion but i thought it was still a a nice way to do it with a metaphor because it also comes back to something that will come up later so When Joe explains to Dorothea why he's disappointed that he doesn't feel amazing, because even as they're walking out, Dorothea's like, oh, you can do a hundred shows, and you won't have a show as good as that. Yeah. So, I mean, meaning that, like, it's not always that great, but tonight was a really amazing show. And then he expresses his disappointment. He's like, and that's when Dorothea says,
0: I heard this story about a fish. He swims up to this older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, says the older fish. That's what you're in right now.
1: This, says the young fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean. And then she just gets in the cab and drives away. And then Joe is just sort of like dumbfounded of, huh? It's like he was looking for life to be something different than it was. And that that this moment was going to somehow make him feel like he finally found the ocean when he's been in the water all along. right? So it's really more meant to maybe dig into your brain a little bit more for the philosophy thing. But I thought it was a nice way to sort of address it. Like, it wasn't like Dorothea wasn't confused by, I'm not, I thought this would fulfill me. Why am I confused? And this does not fulfill me. She immediately understands what he means and gives him a metaphor to, and then leaves him with it. She likely
0: felt the same thing.
1: Yeah, and she likely felt the same thing and, and, and understands maybe, you know, this is what life is like, and as much as she loves playing music, this right. is what it is.
0: Yeah, this this movie did a weird, a thing that doesn't normally happen for me with movies, is it actually made me, the first time I watched it, I actually turned it off and just sat there and thought about it for a while, and that's very, very odd for me. I don't normally do that, and in particular that. I, I really started thinking about that and it started making me think about like times in my life when I was like really extraordinarily happy and how short lived it was and kind of why I lost that happiness and a lot of times not every time but a lot of the times I lost that happiness in the search for my life desires and at this point in my life like I have most of those things that I was looking for but I'm less happy than I was in those moments and it's gotten me kind of thinking about, is it because I don't have those things anymore and I'm comparing the times, I'm comparing happinesses, uh, is it because I'm still looking for the ocean when I'm actually already in the water? Like, what What does it mean? What is, and this movie did a, a great job at messing with my head.
1: Yeah, and like I said, most of the time it's more metaphorical. Uh, there were a few times like that piece, but even that piece was exposition, but it was metaphorical. There were a few other times where they actually explicitly say things like, I think my life is meaningless. But most of it was more of a show don't yeah. tell. Make you think, not tell you what to right. think. And and it was definitely, and that's why we had, when we first talked about doing this episode, that we wanted to approach it more of the philosophical responses to the movie than the movie itself. But the movie does such a good job of serving you up something that's entertaining but also leaves you walking away with something that's thought-provoking. So the next part of the movie is, you know, Joe goes back to his apartment, and just before he goes into the zone, because he starts to feel bad, he starts to think about 22. So his pocket is filled with stuff that 22 had collected during the day, like a pizza crust, a half-eaten bagel, a lollipop, a Metro Pass. It's also like a little pre-zone montage, which not only highlights some of the things that happened earlier in the movie, including some of the things that happened while 22 was in Joe's body and how much she enjoyed those little moments. But also it had, it also mixed in with other of Joe's memories back when he was a kid. So like when 22 said maybe sky watching could be her thing, Joe remembered riding his bike in his neighborhood as a kid and looking up at the clouds. When he thought about Am I in the water and I'm trying to find the ocean? There's actually a brief snippet where he's standing at the ocean's edge, I think with his mom like right after his dad had mm-hmm. passed. and they're standing barefoot on the beach and the ocean washes up on their feet. to sort of uh, to give you like a recall back to the you've been in the water all along, but here you are on the beach looking for the ocean. So all of those, like, little moments that he had actually chastised 22 about earlier, it's like, oh, that's not, that's not a purpose. That's this whole regular old living. But he started thinking about those things just before he goes and decides to play a melody to put himself into the zone to go find 22. And then when he gets there, the thing that's interesting is we see that 22 has become a lost soul because her time on Earth was enough to make her kind of be obsessed with now she kind of wants to be alive. But it was also, for me, and maybe this was, again, I, I, I look for metaphors even when they're not there. The inner darkness that we saw 22 having when we see her as a lost soul was a different interpretation than what we saw earlier in the movie. Earlier in the movie, 22 made it seem like all of her mentors were really trying to help her, and she was just being a smart ass and ignoring them. When they're inside of her like inner darkness, it gets twist it gets turned into she interpreted what her mentors said to her as that she was worthless. Like even like the things that Joe said to her get said back to her in a much harsher way than Joe actually said mm-hmm. them. But for me, it was like a metaphor of the way that we interpret our experiences can be cast darker or lighter than they actually are. And she was definitely in a much more of a darker spiral as in a metaphor for how you can be your own worst enemy and see everything in a negative context.
0: Which also kind of harks back to uh, the barbershop scene when she calls out that guy for taking out his failures on other people which is kind of what she had been doing throughout her entire non-existence with all the mentors is she was just kept messing with them all the time because in the back of her head she felt like she was a failure and it was never gonna work so she kind of twisted it around and made it so that she didn't want it to work or at least that's what she kind of made it portray as which makes me really think that when she ended up coming to earth she became an internet troll (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> maybe they have souls too on um, her eye here but yeah i mean but i thought it was interesting how it it just it, sort of a, a different take on how she, so instead of like her mentors trying to help her it was turned into all of her mentors told her she was worthless and that whole thing that she has no purpose and then they had to rewrite the whole idea that your spark isn't your purpose you know that last box that you have to check on your badge to turn it into an earth pass is when you're ready to come alive. So when you're ready to basically start trying to mm-hmm. live and it's always easy, We know, other people that can typify this or maybe we've also typified it ourselves at some points in our lives. It's easy to say, well, that probably would have worked out anyway. So that, that thing sucks be- because I just assume it will suck. Even if you didn't try it or you're afraid to try it, or something like that, it's just easier just to be like Paul, like mm-hmm. you said, from the barbershop, of just just put everybody else down because you're afraid to even try. And that was kind of the dark spiral that 22 was stuck in. Yep. And then she gets her back, and then basically Joe says, hey, here you go, here's your pass, you can get to go back, and even 22's like, well, that means that you die. It's like, yeah, but I got to go play with Dorothea Williams, so I'm cool. And then he's like, I'll, I'll come down with you. And it's like, well, you, you actually can't do that because we had seen that earlier. It's like, yeah, but I'll, I'll go as far as I can. So they jump through the Earth portal together. And at a certain point, Joe gets yanked back up. And 22 goes on. So we never find out two things. We never find out what 22's spark was. We also don't see where 22 goes. I mean, we, we assume, or I would assume, she went into a baby, that she would be a newborn. Oh, yeah. On Earth. But we don't see that either. I already
0: said that I think she became an internet troll. What do you think she became? Well, that would
1: be what she would eventually become later. But I mean, she would have initially gone into a baby.
0: Well, yeah, that's what I mean, is throughout her life, what do you think she became? What do you think she ended up doing?
1: I guess I never really thought much about that. I guess I kept her more as an open-ended of just a character embodying the possibility that she was more open to the present moment. Now, whether or not she can actually carry that through, I don't know. I think again, the movie intentionally doesn't give us an answer. They let you think about it. I thought less about 22 and was and reverted back to thinking more about Joe.
0: Did you ever? Did you give much spark or much thought about what you thought 22's spark was?
1: Not really, because again, I don't want to jump too far ahead. But it comes a little bit back more to my my metaphorical rating. Because I think one of the things that the movie was also trying to show, I mean, they uh, kept—it made it seem like at the beginning of the movie that your spark is your purpose, your reason for living. And then we find out that your spark is not your purpose. So I think the movie was was in part trying to show that we put too much emphasis on those types of things. What's our spark? What's our purpose? What's our meaning for living? So by not giving us those answers to 22, it leaves it more open-ending to think about. So I guess I honestly never thought about what happens to 22 afterwards, what her spark was, what her purpose was, or what her life, what she would go on to be. I
0: don't know. I I kept trying to think about it and try to figure it out. And because I kept looking at it from different perspectives of, okay, what was it when she was on earth that, that gave her that spark, what triggered it? And then also why couldn't she find that at the U seminar for Thousands and thousands of years. And I, I kind of wonder is it just, was it philosophy? Maybe she didn't get onto that, but it was like, well, I'm sure. I mean, she had philosophers that were trying to mentor her, so that's probably not it. Was it joy? She'd never felt joy before. Or was it just living in general?
1: Well, I think one of the things that they tried to show, but again, it goes by fast, but in the hall of everything, they show you getting to actually try doing different things. But that's not exactly the same as living. So I I think that was the sort of thing is like you can go to, I mean, even make it less philosophical. You can go to school for a certain profession and then graduate from college and start working in that profession and have it be very different than you thought it was going to be.
0: I hear you, but I
1: mean you can also say that more generically about anything in life like someone who's like looking for a new hobby. Right. Well here, let me tell you about these things that I like to do and maybe they don't sound interesting to you until you actually try them and and I think that's sort of the the experience versus the philosophy type of thing of you have to kind of like try things before you'll know like one of the things that they showed right. in at the beginning of the movie the whole idea that food, is a, a a pleasant sensory experience was something that they couldn't experience in the great before because they couldn't taste. So how do you explain right. how good food, certain food like pizza tastes if you can't actually taste the food in the great before? So you can right. give people the greatest explanation in the world of how things taste, but they're not going to know whether or not they like it until they actually try it. So maybe that was what was yeah. missing of the... She just didn't want to try, which again, I I see 22 maybe more so than I should as a metaphor, not just for the pre-soul, the before living part, but just people at different stages of their life of, should I try something new? What is that new thing I should try? Will I like that new thing? I don't know. So maybe I should just not try anything more of that. So I was actually thinking of her more in that regard and not really thinking of, well, what actually did she become on earth? I kept her as a metaphor. I'm not saying that that's good or bad, but that's what I just was using her character as.
0: I kept seeing her as... uh, I'm sure everybody probably knows at least one person this way, but I I know a lot of people that they just seem to enjoy life. They're not necessarily super good at one particular thing or just do one particular thing or even five particular things. They just enjoy being alive. The, the, The wonder of being alive, the wonder of nature... And that's kind of what I saw her as, and that's that's kind of what I hope she becomes.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I guess a, an interesting corollary maybe would be: Is Moonwin happy? Uh, when he's in the zone, I go, he basically spends all of his time in the zone. Does he still play Tetris? Good question. But I mean, it doesn't seem to spend. I mean, he's alive, but does he actually enjoy being alive? Right. Or maybe his purpose is to help other people. I mean, they do show him when he's in the zone, he is helping to rescue lost souls. So he maybe takes that. So his purpose is actually not even in this world.
0: Well, I saw this whole movie is explaining that there is really no such thing as a purpose.
1: Right. So, yeah, I know. Well, I mean, there could be. But I mean, I think there are things such as purposes. But the equations that we normally say spark equals purpose purpose equals meaning for living or the reason that you live and that type of thing i think we have a tendency to put too much emphasis on those things and that's what the movie was trying to point out yeah
0: and he did seem pretty happy so maybe another thing it's trying to point out is you can find happiness anywhere it doesn't have to be any specific purpose
1: yeah i again i I keep holding back because it's basically my whole like metaphorical rating is is basically (laughs) going to be all about that Fair enough. But let's come back to that. So I don't know if I had any other. I mean, other than that, like the closing. Just so we can push off to the post movie discussion. So the closing part of the movie, after Joe Bungie jumps down to Earth with twenty two, he gets pulled back up, and now he's back on the bridge, heading to the Great Beyond. So Mm -hmm. he's about to die, but the Jerry's decide, hey, you know what? You're a real cool dude, and you did a real cool thing for twenty two. How would you like to go back and have a second chance at living? Well, they're
0: actually like, we, our entire reason for existing is to inspire. And it's very rare that you inspire us. So as a, as a gift for inspiring us, we're going to let you go back.
1: And there was a lot of debate, a behind the scenes debate about the people who wrote the movie. Of how it should end. And there was one group that Mm -hmm. said, you should just go to the great beyond. Because he got what he said, like you said earlier. He said he would die a happy man if he could play with Dorothea Williams. He got that.
0: Now he's got to go back to now suffering. Now he has to go
1: back to probably, maybe, we don't know. And actually, that's the other thing, too, is we go, okay, great. And they ask him, by, so you got a second, a second chance. So what do you think you'll do? How are you going to spend your life? And even Joe says, I'm not sure, but I do know I'm going to live every minute of it. Which is a very open-ended way but I think it was a nice mm-hmm. way to end. Not a, I'm going to go become yeah. the greatest jazz musician there ever was. It's like, no, I'm going to live every minute of it. And I have more to say about right. that, but I'll, I'll come back to it later. But that's basically how the movie ends. So you said you have a bunch of stuff that you want to talk about in terms of the movie itself or the philosophy or the thing that made you think about. So I'll let you lead that part of the discussion.
0: I already kind of talked about it. A lot of it ended up being that fish in the ocean thing about just thinking about, You know, what do you actually enjoy and everything. So, like I said, I'll walk you through the first couple notes I made. So, the first time I watched it, I made three notes. And that was, like I said, I I finished it and I just sat and thought about it for a little bit. Which, again, doesn't happen for me. I usually just turn to the next thing and keep going. The first thing I wrote was Audience Connection. And how brilliant this movie was about... Because so many of us spend our lives trying to find a passion or a reason to live or... Just push so hard pursuing a passion that we forget to actually live and enjoy life in general. And I know I'm very guilty of that. I very rarely really enjoy life that much. And I keep trying to find... I've got a lot of hobbies. I don't know if I really have any kind of passion. I'm not... I always say that I'm kind of a jack of all trades, but I'm not really good at anything. And I've yet to really find anything that I'm really good at that, really, that I really enjoy. There's a lot of things that I, I have fun doing and that I like to do. But not enough to really make a living off of it or really enjoy it for any amount of time. So like woodworking, I like doing that, but I'm not that good at it. Music, I love playing music. I suck at it. So that, that was just something that I really started thinking about. Uh, it really made me question... What I enjoy in life, that was kind of my second note is, you know, what do I really, what do I actually enjoy? Which then led me to my third note was, well, I guess it's time for a midlife crisis (laughs) because I really don't know what I'm doing with myself anymore.
1: I mean, you could kind of say that that's kind of like what Joe was having in the movie was a bit of a a midlife crisis um, with an opportunity that presented himself with a way to run away from midlife crisis. But yeah, to your point, I would, I would agree and and echo a lot of those sentiments. I oftentimes myself ponder the difference between living and existing. And I think that much more often I am existing, but not living. Right. There's a lot of things that I, I have hobbies. There's a lot of things I do that I would characterize as distractions, enjoyable distractions, but they are distractions But so, and that's something—an enjoyable distraction. And actually, this is like an open question that I ask myself: Is there a difference between an enjoyable distraction and joy? And I don't know what the answer is.
0: I don't either. I I I would think there probably is, but I don't know. I've felt that kind of joy to know it.
1: And we're probably both ill-equipped. To answer some aspects, like when people look at, like, dimensionalities of life and possible pathways to joy and satisfaction, neither one of us are married, neither one of us have children. So whether or not those dimensions of life would be pathways to what we're talking about, I don't know. I can't speak to it personally, but I have seen from friends and family members how those dimensions do not seem... To be an automatic pathway <laughs> to joy and happiness. I've seen lots of people, um, I come from a family that has a lot of divorce in it. So I've seen a lot of people who thought a relationship was that pathway. And then when they were disappointed with it, that relationship ended in divorce or just bad breakups of people who weren't married. But I think all of us always have something that happens in our life that at a certain point, it's like we tried something, it didn't work out and we were disappointed with it. Or like Joe in the movie, we we had something that was a target that we thought might bring us fulfillment. So like for me, achieving a certain amount of success in my career and and achieving a certain amount of financial independence and stability, I thought would be a potential pathway to at least satisfaction. And it wasn't.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I was going earlier when I said like I had those life goals, those, those life desires, and that's exactly it. I wanted a certain amount of, really it was, I wanted enough success that I don't have to worry about whether or not bills are going to get paid. Yes. I want to be able to get things that that I want and not have to worry about not being able to pay the electric bill because I got this thing. And I thought for sure, once I got to that point, then I can focus on getting happy. And that just hasn't quite happened.
1: Same here. And I sometimes think, I mean, I'm older than you are. I'm almost 12 years older than you. So sometimes I think I spent too much of my life focusing on that financial independence, financial stability, career development path. And I spent little to no time on the like personal relationships path. So I became unbalanced, but I don't know if a tilting it in the other direction would have been better or worse. Like a lot of times I, I... will say to myself it's like yeah there are lots of ways that my life could be better but there are also a lot of ways a lot of ways that my life could be worse yeah my it's like i don't i don't i try my best not to complain because i really don't have anything to complain about right same which is actually at one point in the movie they actually poke fun at this because like at one point when joe is asking 22 why her voice sounds the way she does and she goes through. It's like, oh, this is all just a contract. I could sound however I want. I can even sound like you. Why? I don't like my life. Someone call a ambulance. Wah. <laughs> <laughs> but like for me, it's like I, that made me laugh because, and I did that voice horribly. By the way, the joke is much better in the movie. But that's what, like what I, I I try not to complain. It's like there are a lot of people who have that are much worse off in life and are dealing with real right. struggles real suffering and real tragedy that ain't me i might be bored most right. of the time like one of the things that 22 actually says at one point as sort of like why she doesn't want to have a life and she's like earth is so boring i feel that almost every day
0: did you cry i did that not point? cry
1: but my whole point is it comes back to is like boring is not suffering My life is not as exciting as it could be, or as interesting as it could be, or as happy as it could be, but it's not a tragic tale of suffering either.
0: Try telling that to a teenager.
1: Exactly. Or try telling that to even some adults who really get very frustrated at, Hey, I did the things that I was supposed to be doing. Why am I not happy? Life owes me happiness. I should be getting more things and be better off than I am. And I've always been one of those people who's like, life doesn't owe you shit. You have to decide whether or not you want to be happy. And if you decide that you can't be or don't want to be happy, that's not life's problem. That's your fucking problem. Right. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's the wrong way to think about it, but that's always been my way. I mean, I am somewhat empathetic and sympathetic, but I'm not the type of person that people will bring their problems to because at a certain point, I'm usually like, fucking give me a break. Your life could be a hell of a lot worse. Stop fucking complaining. You want to change your life? Do something about it. My life could be better, but I'm not complaining because if I wanted to make my life different, I have the power to do so. The fact that I didn't do it is no one's problem but my own.
0: I think one of the things that a a lot of us struggle with is just finding a little bit of happiness in what we're doing, a little bit of joy and just doing what we're doing and I know it's it's been throughout my adult life continuously when I'm around people we're doing something that people look at me and they think that I'm miserable or I'm bored or something like that and in reality I'm just enjoying what we're doing yeah you know, I just enjoying it my own way like I've only been to the ocean once for instance and I went with people that I didn't know very well and it was rainy it was in Oregon so I mean it wasn't like a super pristine beach but it was an it was a beach ocean was there but it was cloudy and rainy and kind of cold and i just kind of went off on my own walking down the beach while they did whatever they were doing and they kept up like when i came back they kept apologizing like oh sorry you know you're miserable sorry it was so bad i was like this is great because that's what i enjoy just going out and walking around i know that's been a consistent thing with our group of friends here we go we go out hiking in nature quite a bit uh, during the summer when it's nice out. And a lot of times I get that comment of, you know, sorry, you're bored. Sorry. this it wasn't fun for you. I was like, no, this is exactly what I wanted to do. I just like getting out into nature. I like be- just getting outside. I don't really care what we're doing. I just like being out. And that's, I guess that is something that brings me a little bit of joy. I mean, I'm not super happy, but it does bring a little bit of joy and, and happiness into my life.
1: And I think I have somewhat of a somewhat of a similar perspective. Over the course of my life, I've found, I try my best to enjoy different experience and stuff like that, but I also have consistently encountered the, I don't know what the right way to phrase this is. I've, I've heard a lot of people like, like in the United States for, for international listeners, maybe, maybe we, I often have different conversations with friends in like Europe, for example. The whole notion of like, work 50 weeks a year and only get two weeks of vacation and you have to cram all of the possible joy you could have in your life into two weeks because the rest of the other part of the year, you're going to be doing your day-to-day job is weird because in most other parts of the world, we have a lot more vacation time or holiday time. Mm -hmm. I have consistently seen lots of people be so excited to go on vacation And so miserable when they came back from vacation. Yeah. Because it wasn't what they expected it to be. It's like, I went to the Caribbean. I thought it was going to be amazing. Why wasn't it not amazing? I went to the mountains. I saw the ocean for the first time. I went to Europe for the first time. Why wasn't it amazing? It's like, well, part of the problem is you're putting all of this pressure on you going someplace else and that other place being so much so amazing that it's going to make you happy when you go on vacation you're still you (laughs) If you're not happy where you're living right now why would you think geographically relocating yourself temporarily or otherwise would change your state of emotion
0: yeah well not to mention too
1: i mean there are plenty of times like the first time i went to europe i was like so this is europe okay (laughs) <laughs> i was glad i went but it's like eh.
0: <laughs> i would also i mean this kind of goes into some personal baggage i have on it but so many times people come back from those vacations like oh where'd you go Oh, i went to the caribbean oh what'd you do i sat there and got drunk you do that here <laughs> no ma- no wonder it wasn't as great as you expected it to be because you went over there and did exactly the same thing you do here it's just a different location doing the exact same thing.
1: Like you talked about only being to the ocean once. I grew up on the East Coast, so I grew up very close to the ocean. So we were a short drive from the ocean. So I'd been to the ocean. i have been to the beach. The first time that I went to um, the Caribbean, I went to Bermuda. People like, oh, isn't this so amazing? Is the beach. It's like, I've seen the ocean. I grew up next to the ocean. Yes, the water is cleaner here <laughs> than it is where I grew up. But... It's still the ocean It's like, or like when the first time I saw the Pacific ocean, cause I grew up on the Atlantic, uh, the East coast of the United States with the Atlantic ocean. So the first time I saw the Pacific ocean, it's like, huh? Yep. That's an ocean.
0: <laughs> it doesn't smell like tea over here. That's weird.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's still, it's like, it's still a beach. It's still like, yeah, people, oh yeah, I'm going to go to Caribbean. I'm going to lie on the beach and get a tan. It's like, you can do that here. Yeah. Yes. It's more picturesque. I'll grant you that.
0: I get into that conversation a lot because I grew up on a river. Like we we went on a river all the time. Like we had a cabin on it and people were always like, Oh, don't you want to go to, to the beach on the ocean? i was like, well, I, we got rivers and lakes here. It's no different to me. It's, it's still water. I don't know. Maybe I haven't experienced the ocean enough to really fully understand it.
1: It also could be the two things of like what you're used to. It could be like people here. Like we live in Iowa. So there were no oceans or no mountains. I grew up with oceans and mountains, so I know what they are. So it's like, I'm not like as anxious to go on vacation someplace where there are oceans and mountains. Mm -hmm. I've been, I grew up with oceans and mountains. It would be nice if I had that as available as a weekend excursion, but it's like, I've been there. I know what it looks like. I've also seen, you know, different mountain ranges in different parts of the country and stuff like again, the whole idea is like the destination doesn't change the person who's traveling to it or the, right. the experiences that you might have. It's still you having those experiences. So I think too much, we spend too much time thinking whether it's a, a vacation or a new uh, job opportunity or a new relationship or a new hobby. There's always that, oh, around that corner, something else is going to happen that's going to make me happy. Right. Well, if you're not happy before you turn the corner... What makes you think you're going to be happy after you turn the corner?
0: And that's, uh, I get into the conversation a lot when I tell people from, you know, around the world that I talk to about going hiking, like, oh yeah, we're going to go hiking. They're like, you're in Iowa. Where are you going to go hiking at? I guess the places I've been hiking at, you know, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, et cetera, and here, whether we're hiking here, walking around a, a lake, you know, a trail of woods versus on a mountain with woods versus you know it's it's really not that much different just elevation differences really and scenery differences some but it's still just being out in nature either way for me so it really doesn't change the enjoyment level at all for me and that doesn't see people just don't seem to understand that
1: well that and the other thing for like me it's like yeah mountains have more rugged terrain but i'm not a rock climber so I'm not going to take the more advanced trail. <laughs> so yes, it's definitely much more. What, what was so funny about that? I'm picturing you trying to climb a mountain. <laughs> I have, I have quote unquote climbed mountains, but in the sense of I've taken a path that eventually takes you to the top of the mountain and only at like the very end is there actual like rock climbing, but not like with like, ropes and gear and stuff like that small mountains in the northeast that you can get to yeah. without having any type of advanced skill <laughs> but it's like so me having like oh uh, a more challenging mountain is like I'm not going to climb a challenging mountain I just need a big hill that's about the ele- that's about the extent of my skill <laughs>
0: <laughs> so i i guess that kind of for me anyways kind of exhausts the stuff like i said a lot of it just really came down to that fish in the water looking for the ocean, just trying to enjoy what we can while we're here. Do you have anything else before you jump into your metaphorical rating?
1: No, because pretty much that's all I have left is things I've been holding back of talking more about. It basically, we keep circling around it. So yeah, I'm ready for... All
0: right, let, let's go ahead and jump into that. What do you got?
1: Do you want to go? Why don't you go first?
0: I actually don't really have a metaphorical rating. I'm still struggling with it. So go ahead.
1: Oh, it's like the opposite of Wonder Woman, I. <laughs>
0: Really, we're just, we're we switching chairs all around on this one, I think.
1: Okay, so my metaphorical rating is the great now. So in this movie, we talk a lot about the great beyond, what happens after we die. And we don't spend any time there, but they talk about it as a concept. We spend a fair amount of time in the great before, what happens before we start living, And then we spend some fair amount of time in what I would call the great between, uh, a.k.a. life. But more precisely, I would say that the movie is trying to emphasize the importance of the great now. The present moment that we often don't appreciate while we're in it. And the movie talks a lot about the whole idea of being in the zone and how that's not all that different from being a lost soul. Because if you get obsessed with that... It takes you out of appreciating life. I think a lot of people, myself included, and we also saw this reflected in the movie in a show-not-tell type of thing. In that montage, the pre Returns to the zone montage where Joe goes back for 22, we see those like high heights of the film, but also moments throughout Joe's life. Included in that montage were some of the same moments that Joe saw in the Hall of You and, he was, and when he was in the hall, of he was like, my life is meaningless. Because he looked at all of these ordinary moments, and he thought it was terrible. But in that montage, we actually went back to several of those moments. And that, that picture of him eating alone in the diner, oh, how sad and pathetic that is, turned into appreciating this delicious piece of pie that I'm having in the diner right now. Sky watching while he's riding his bike. Appreciating how beautiful the sky looked, those types of moments that he had chastised twenty-two about that's just regular old living stuff. Well, too often we don't take the time to really appreciate those moments because a lot of times what happens, and, and even in people whose lives are not filled with a great deal of happiness, and my my own life is an example of that, that even in a, a life that's that's dull and maybe seem dark, there are always these bright moments that you don't appreciate when they're happening, and the spark of which is diminished when you look in the rearview mirror. When you're looking back at things that happened, they don't really seem like they were all that important. But if you could actually stop and be in the moment and appreciate what's happening now, that's actually, I think, what the real message of the movie is. It's not like, oh, what's my purpose? What's going to make me happy? What's my spark? No, let me actually just pay attention to what's happening right now and appreciate every aspect of it that I can. Right. Yeah,
0: I agree with that. From my perspective on that, what I was thinking about as you were explaining that is I try to explain to people why I like being alone so much. And I think it's just that is when other people are around when, I'm, when we're doing things, I don't really get to focus on what we're doing. So like, you know, for instance, watching movies with other people. Yeah, the movie's still there, but then there's always like that side conversation or that just just that little distraction of other people being around takes my focus away, so I'm not fully enjoying that thing. And so I, I try to explain to people all the time, like, you know, I I really actually enjoy being I have to be alone because that's how I reset and how I, I find joy. I'm When people are around I find them so incredibly distracting that it's exhausting. If that makes sense. It does. I have to have that alone time. And I've kind of gotten to a point now that like every weekend, I make sure that one of the two days on the weekend, I'm alone no matter what. I'm not interacting with any other people just to make sure I get that kind of reset alone time that I need to function. That makes sense. It does. So I, I guess we're, what you said about enjoying the moment is I, I struggle enjoying the moment when other people are around. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but that's kind of where my mind went while you were explaining that.
1: Well, oftentimes it is people can be very distracting and it can be very difficult to enjoy the moment with that interaction. As I've gotten older, I've actually spent not only – my personal life, but also because I started working from home for a significant part of my professional life, I've spent more and more time alone. And then with, of course, the coronavirus pandemic has cut down even on like the limited number of interactions that I would normally have got eliminated or cut down substantially as well. So now I, I, do, I do enjoy being alone, but now I spend so much time alone, it becomes Rather, everything kind of just blends together, and I do wish that I could have more interactions with people. But at the same time, it's like I don't like being around people just to be around people, right? But there is human beings or social animals, we do have a need for some type of interaction. So it would have be been nicer if I had and made maybe some different life decisions. Maybe I would have more people in my life if I had made some different choices. But sometimes I wish I had a little bit. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't appreciate the difference between that. You, you, I think are describing being alone and how that can be uh, a pleasant experience for you. Because you don't feel lonely while you're alone.
0: Every once in a while, I feel lonely. But then when I think about being around other people, I'm like, never mind. I'd rather be alone. (laughs) Because I enjoy being alone a lot more than I enjoy being around other people. And I've actually been joking, too, about as much time as I spend alone, having changed jobs right when the coronavirus started, I'm actually around people more now than I was before. That's true. Because I actually have to go to work and see people at work. Is there anything else you had before that?
1: I don't think so. I mean, like okay. I said, the only just to come back to my final point, to reiterate again, and, and kind of a little bit like we were saying, it, it's easy, it's one of those, and like this movie helps you have sort of thought-provoking conversations with some examples and make you think about stuff like that. It's one of those things that's very easy to say, you know, be in the moment and appreciate the moment, but it is very rare uh, in life that you often end up appreciating things after the fact it's very difficult to actually stop and appreciate what's happening in the moment I think though also we also as we other thing that we talked a lot about is the whole idea of we don't try to appreciate what we're experiencing because we're we're thinking too much about not looking back at what we experienced and trying to appreciate it or appreciate it while we're going through it but spend more time lamenting what we didn't do or what things didn't happen for us, as opposed to, and especially in those moments, when we're using our present attention to focus on negative things, which is really just a waste of time, as opposed to being able to just try to appreciate the present moment. Try to appreciate the great now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't argue with that at all. I I struggled a lot. I kept trying to come up with some metaphorical rating because when I came when I was really coming back to how this movie made me feel and what what it made me think about, I found this movie was both inspiring and depressing at the same time. Yes. I was trying to find some rate metaphor to bring those together. I couldn't really think of anything. So depressing for me, I mean I I kept when I watched this movie. And I think about it. I think about the friends that I know. Like, for instance, I got a really good friend that I used to live with. Amazing drummer. He's fantastic at everything he does. He finds so much joy and passion in everything that he does. Especially music-wise. I just get so jealous that I don't have that. I want that. But I just don't have the talent to work off of that. It's always been something that just depresses me. But I also find it extremely inspiring. Because... It showed me also that you don't necessarily have to be really good at it to enjoy it. So having watched it last weekend was when I first watched it. I've been playing a lot more music this week. And I hadn't really been playing for a little while. But I started playing it again anyway just because I remember just enjoy it. And I have been enjoying it a lot more than I had. And actually I found it's actually been helping my creative process a lot more just enjoying it and rather than being frustrated and depressed that I'm not that good at it. So I guess my question for you on that is what did this inspire you at all, Jim? Are you doing anything different?
1: I wish that I could say I was.
0: (laughs) Did you find it inspiring though?
1: I did. I found it in, I, I found it thought provoking. I found it inspirational in the sense of, again, a reminder of trying to appreciate what I have or what I've had, as opposed to lamenting what I didn't have or what I don't have. It did inspire me. I I really liked that jazz is the musical medium for the movie because I think it's a great metaphor for life because it is improvisational, not entirely, but in part an improvisational medium. And at one point, I think Joe's dad was explaining this in the movie, that the tune is just the excuse to bring out the you. Yeah. So the idea, like you were just saying, is like, playing music now even though if you keep trying you keep naked on yourself for being bad at it but it's still enjoyable to play and just playing as an excuse to get back to yourself and enjoy doing it it doesn't matter whether or not it's good or not and jazz being very improvisational in nature I haven't really listened to a lot of jazz but I do like that idea of that sort of being a good metaphor for life for being a bit more It can't be very structured, and this is what's going to happen next, and this is how we do go from this part of the song to the next. It has to be more go-with-the-flow type of stuff. So it was the right, I think, choice for a musical medium. I fall more on the blues side of of the spectrum, in terms of the blues-jazz spectrum. I do like blues a lot, which is actually, interestingly, probably more depressing. (laughs) (laughs) To your point, it's like, yeah, the movie is both inspirational and depressing at the same time. But you know what? I think it's also, again, that's what life is like, too. Yeah.
0: I I think come uh, spring, summer, if we keep this in mind, maybe we'll enjoy time outside doing things a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Part of the reason why I'm having a hard time enjoying the present moment right now is because there's very little variability (laughs) in the (laughs) present moment. Because the present moment is, especially with me working from home, is literally the same thing every single day. Not just because of the pandemic, but also because it's wintertime. So even minus the pandemic, because of the weather, I really can't do as many things outside as I normally would. So the tedium of winter combined with the pandemic is making it difficult for me to escape, uh, to enjoy the present moment. But I'll try my best.
0: Well, for a perspective for people that aren't in Iowa for winter, it's because it's cold and very snowy out. So it's hard to do much outside. Yes. And with the pandemic, everything's closed. So... The indoor stuff that we might normally do in the winter, we can't do.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing, too. It's like we said before, I don't get out a lot and do a lot of things. But even those minor things of even stupid stuff like going bowling or getting together to play board games, they're just right. things we can't do. And again, I didn't do those a lot before, but not being able to do them at all <laughs> <Right. laughs> kind of sucks. <laughs> all right. Well, there were, there were worse problems to have.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Well, hopefully for everybody listening, if, if you did watch this movie, hopefully it inspired you to get a little more joy out of life. Let us know. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the
1: Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean
0: mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.